Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, a very exciting podcast this time. Uh, I am Lauren Humphreys Brooks, and with me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen. Hello. Um, we're going to talk about something that I can't believe we actually haven't like done an episode about this given everything <laughs> but we haven't and as you pointed out last week so it's like okay this is a good time to do it um yeah. we did gonna... a bonus episode about one of the movies once but that's it did we mm-hmm. i don't remember <laughs> we did yeah I'm it was sorry. back in the back in the early days when we still had four of us Wow, I like I've, yeah. com- I've completely forgotten that. I'll have to go back and look. Um, so check that out. The, that should be on our pod being. You can go back and look at our, our original episode about this. Um, but we're going to talk about Star Wars. All, all three of the original trilogy. Uh, and and specifically because obviously this is the anniversary of Return of the release of Return of the Jedi. So it's been re-released back into theaters everyone's very excited about it and um and it seems as good a time as any to to revisit um all three of the original films just just to let everybody know we are going to talk about the original original so the original cuts um as they are now available and uh and we're going to talk a little bit about the special editions and the changes that got made and all of that bullshit um but that our focus is going to be on the original films Mm-hmm. so yep. we are we are very excited about this i'm excited i think karen's even more excited because <laughs> she is like a star wars super fan i was raised by han solo and Le- and princess leia so <laughs> i don't know that's not given what happens in the sequels i'm not certain whether that's something you want to advertise uh well i mean i'm <laughs> not saying it's a good thing <laughs> my coworkers can decide <laughs> So I think that that let's why don't we start with that our first experiences of these films. Um, our lovely uh, patron Michelle had a few things to say, and, and one of the things that she said was, "I would be interested in both of your introductions into the Star Wars universe as well as your ranking of all the movies." I'm an OG girl, so four, five, six will always hold a special place in my heart, but I still appreciate the recent ones as well. Um, so thank thank you for that, Michelle. Uh, yeah. So Karen, why don't you start us off? <laughs> what are your what was your introduction to Star Wars? My introduction to Star Wars came in 1977 in the movie theater and I was a tiny tiny baby. Uh the first movie had come out. It was just called Star Wars then. It was not episode 4. It was not A New Hope. It was just Star Wars. And uh the movie had come out. My parents saw it a couple of times. They were just in love with it. And they had some friends who hadn't seen it yet. So they made plans to go together. And they're like, oh, we'll we'll just find a sitter. And they couldn't find a sitter. And at the 
like so basically I, I checked with my mom on this story like not that long ago because I was just like did I did I do I remember this correctly so basically what happened was they couldn't find anybody that was available to watch me so they could go to the movies so what my mom did because I was still really really tiny is they decided to go to the latest showing so that I would be asleep and I would probably just sleep through the whole thing and I mostly did until the big Death Star battle. And so she was just like, ah, oh, she was prepared. She was going to have to take me out. Luckily, she'd already seen it a couple of times, so she knew it was going to happen. But instead of me getting scared and crying, I just sat up and started cheering. I was just super into it. And apparently <laughs> uh, that is a 100% true story. And I've been a Star Wars fan basically since birth. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so I do remember um, going to see Empire Strikes Back. I remember being really confused. I was only three, but I remember being really confused and asking my dad how the bad guy could be Luke's dad. <laughs> it didn't make sense to me. And then I just remember how exciting it was to go see Return of the Jedi. By that point, I was like seven. And it was just like... I, I understood it. I had seen the movies a billion times because my dad had bootlegged the first two for us. So I still actually have those VHS tapes. And um, yeah, so Star Wars really ha has been a part of my life from the beginning of me and the beginning of Star Wars. We grew up together. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> um, well, for for me, uh, before we get into Rikis, for me, I was born three years after the release of Return of the Jedi. So I did not go to see any of them in, in the, the theater when they were first released. My parents did. Um, and I mean, they, they've told me, I don't think that either one of them were like, oh my God, this is the biggest thing in the history of anything. But it definitely like they remember going to see it and the surprise when my dad can correct me on this, but the surprise when it turned out that spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen the films, <laughs> Darth Vader is Luke's father and Leia's father. Um, I, I, uh, apparently that was like a big thing. I was like, Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, it's, it's weird. I think for, for those of us who are, who are younger and who are obviously coming to this where we know that already, like I, I'm pretty positive that when I first saw The Empire Strikes Back, I already knew that um, because it was just so much a part of the culture. But it's it's interesting to think about the fact that this was a big thing. This was like, you know, my the bad, like you say, the bad guy is the father of two of the heroes. Mm -hmm. um, and and it, it really does change kind of the trajectory and everything. It also changes the way I think we look at the first film. Um, yeah. And the way that Vader like reacts to Luke and all that, but we'll get into that in a minute. So I well, think it's also sorry. I'm just going to jump ahead. in because I mean, yeah, we will talk about all this in more detail. But it was also part of the reason it was so significant is because before this, when had a movie series left off on a cliffhanger like that? Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, the the combination of that and Han being trapped in carbonite. Mm -hmm. is so, like those two things are so big i were so in terms of my experience of star wars i remember very strongly seeing the empire strikes back and empire strikes back was actually my least favorite film of the three because han solo gets trapped in carbonite and han solo was my favorite mm -hmm. um for good reason obviously yeah. but i was really really upset by it because i did not under i didn't understand the difference between like 
him dying and being trapped in carbonite. I, that, those two things were synonymous to me. Um, and, and I remember like always, so my parents owned the VHS of the Empire Strikes Back. That was the only VHS that they owned of the three films. It was just that one. It was the one that scarred me again, mom and dad. Thank you. Um, and, and so, but we would, I remember like whenever we watched that movie, I was like, okay, now we have to go to the video store and rent a, a return of the Jedi. We have to rent return of the Jedi, which was my favorite. Um, but I had to see the opening at Jabba's palace and Han Solo getting saved. And then I was like, okay, it's fine. It's fine. I don't even have to watch the rest of the movie. Han Solo is okay. <laughs> so yeah, I, I grew up watching the VHS. Um, I honestly do not remember the first time I saw any of the Star Wars films. It was just kind of, it was one of those things. I do remember going to see the special editions when they came out mm -hmm. um, in the movie theater. And I know there's there's a lot of problems with the special editions, but it was a it was a cool experience for me because it was the first time I'd ever seen Star Wars on a big screen. Yeah. Um, and getting to see that was very exciting, even though I now recognize all of the other issues that those films have. Yeah. Um, actually being able to see it on a big screen for for someone of my age was was a really cool experience, which was actually part of the marketing. I don't know if you remember the trailers announcing the special editions, but they had it started off with this little TV and it was like the opening of the first movie. And it said, you know, this voiceover says for an entire generation, this has been the only way that you could watch Star Wars. And then it pulls out to the whole big screen. And it's like now you get to experience it, you know, on, yeah. you know the way it was meant to be seen, <laughs> that expression we love. But at the time it was like, yeah, this is, this is like amazing. And I had gotten to see them and I did remember seeing, especially, you know, Empire and, and Return of the Jedi, but it had been my entire life. That was my childhood. Mm -hmm. this, this was now I was an adult, um, barely, but I was an adult uh, getting to have that experience again. It was, it was very cool. Yeah, it, it, exactly. It was, um, and like, I, I remember going to see the first one and, the entire the death star sequence the entire sequence where they attack the death star and all that mm -hmm. it's really impressive on a big screen it is and yeah. and one of the other things is that like i said this was the time of vhs so we were watching comparatively right fairly small screens with fairly grainy mm -hmm. um images right even far grainier even than they would have been even with all of the other issues that the films themselves have um, and so again, getting to see them remastered, getting to see them up on a big screen, what was actually like a, a visceral difference in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I had seen those movies a million times by this point, but, and so it was funny because the first time I watched the special editions, there were, there were points where I was like, I couldn't remember if certain things were in the original or if they'd been added later because I just, there's so much detail that you lose watching it on TV. Especially the TVs that we had the eighties and nineties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that for the young people uh, mm -hmm. who who might be listening to us, the younger people, um, <laughs> it was it was different. Like it was definitely VHS. The the TVs themselves, all of those things were very different from the kind of sharpness that we have now, even with the DVDs. We had to get up and turn, like actually turn a dial to change the channel, and we did not have that many <laughs> options. I, I remember my parents' first VCR, which lasted for like 20 years, by the way. It was a brick. Yeah, um, ours too. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and and eventually, like they got a better VCR, and I, as, as the child, I inherited the the massive VCR. At a certain point, that VCR could literally do nothing except play and fast forward. That was it. <laughs> that was all that that VCR could do. But it lasted forever. Yeah. Um, it was massive. It was like the size of my kitchen table. The top um, popped up, I'm guessing. That's where you put the tape in. No, no. This no. You had, this actually had like a little door that you could push the tape in. It, it um, wasn't one of the pop-up ones. Yeah, our, um, ours was the pop-up one. We actually were the first family on our street to have a VCR. It's It was a different <laughs> world, man. It's a yeah. different world. Yeah. Um, so the, the other part of Michelle's question was, how do we rank the, the films? And uh, I, I will, I will say the my favorite remains Return of the Jedi. I just love it. I think it's so much fun. We'll talk about why when we get to talking about it today. Um, I really love Empire Strikes Back. I primarily love Empire Strikes Back, honestly, because of Yoda. Like <laughs> Yoda just makes it that much better. I'm still, in a lot of ways, I still approach these films as like being a kid. And I'm just like, what do I find entertaining? The Muppet. The Muppet is entertaining. <laughs> All of the serious, like, oh, you have to confront your dark sides. Like, no, Muppet. Um, but I honestly, I like all three of the original films. I think my favorite is still Return of the Jedi um, and then probably Empire Strikes Back and uh, Star Wars or A New Hope. Um, I have no love for the prequels at all. Uh, if... At the most, I would say that probably The Phantom Menace is the least offensive in my view, but that's <laughs> that's really ranking it down. Um, and then The Last Jedi and everything else. I'm just like, I just this is not good. I don't care. Um, so that's my opinion. What is your opinion, Karen? Mm, I don't really like to rank things, but <laughs> um, so in the original trilogy, from a story standpoint, my favorite was always Empire Strikes Back. But I, I have such an affinity for the original film because I watched that one the most times and it's just like, I don't know, it, it's just, it's the most fun because they didn't know if they were going to make more of these. So it's just kind of like, let's just go for it. You know, once you get into Empire Strikes Back, they had a plan and they knew where they were going. Um, so I think in terms of just my personal entertainment, I guess I would just say four, five, six, uh, in that order, but there's, I don't, I don't really like one or over the other. That's the thing. Like, I just, I really, to me, the original trilogy is basically one movie in three parts. So I just, mm -hmm. I love them all. Um, I have mixed feelings about the prequels, um, I think Phantom Menace is very offensive for some reasons, but it's also pretty, um, a pretty tame story overall. It's not bad. Um, I actually like a lot of things that Attack of the Clones does, but it's you know it's not a great movie. And then I think Revenge of the Sith is actually pretty good. It does some things that are really just so stupid and silly. But I think of the of the original, or I mean of the prequel trilogy. It's probably the best one of the three. And then uh, I don't really want to get into the sequels, but The Last Jedi fucking rules and is to me equal with the original trilogy. Okay, I can, I can definitely see that. 
Um, yeah, I mean, we're we're going to talk about the original trilogy, and and I I agree with you. I think that all three films form a really good arc, um, mm-hmm. a very clear arc, right? And and I do think yeah. there there is that sense that like if the first film, if that was all we had, if that that was just Star Wars, that was it. Um, I still think that it would work very well. It's a it's a mm-hmm. well made film. It's a very well paced film and everything. So let's talk about the first film. Yeah. Um, which when it was released was called Star Wars is now whatever episode four star wars a new hope it's star wars episode four a new hope yeah okay but according to my dvd it's just star wars <laughs> <laughs> because you I think- and i were both smart enough to buy the mm-hmm. version that had the original theatrical release and the special edition whole bunch of boys are so jealous of me for having those and i'm like you have the opportunity to buy this why didn't you it, like i i legitimately i bought those films because of the bonus discs because they had the original uh theatrical releases on yeah them. like yeah. and i was just like oh that's what i like watching i don't really care one way or the other about the special editions at that time right mm-hmm. and and so i bought those i was just like oh great i have all three star wars films the films that i like awesome yeah cool um yeah and i that's did not realize that was never going to be possible again and I mean, I really, I truly hope that it will be possible again some someday. Like, yeah. it, I feel like that it should. I feel like that at some point, Disney will be like, you know what, we got to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But but yeah, it's nice to have those and to actually be like, okay, we've got access to the films that I actually like, honestly. With all of their graininess, with all of the messiness, with all of like, you know, that. And, and I... I mean, let's talk about that. I think that one of the the interesting things about the first film, and in rewatching it this time, I was really struck by it, is how it is kind of stuck together, right? You can tell that people are wearing plastic helmets. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I, I literally, in watching, like, the the initial battle between the the rebels and the stormtroopers, um, I, I was literally going... <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I, it does such a good job at immersing you in the world right off the bat, right? And in convincing you that this is the world that these, these characters occupy. It isn't, it is a little cheap in certain, in a certain sense, but it also all fits together in the same way, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And I think one of the reasons that it works is because George Lucas in, in crafting this, very much wanted it to be a galaxy that felt lived in, you know, so many sci-fi movies um, before this and, and after this too, um, you know, everything's super high polish, very glossy. It just looks, everything just gleams, you know, and he wanted this to look like a world that people of varying economic, you know, levels and stuff actually occupied. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, yeah, I know part of it is just because this was put together on not the $300 million budget that they would get today. But um, but also, I think that it's believable because of what else we see as we go on. You know, we see speeders that are all scuffed up. We see the droids have a lot mm-hmm. of just like, you know, damage and scarring on them and stuff. So it's like it just it kind of just all feels more believable. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It feels lived in. It feels like these. this is the world that these people occupy. And the grittiness and the graininess of it is definitely a big part of that. And and also the fact that, like, 
you know, there are Muppets everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, people in costumes, all that. And again, it feels realistic in the sense that this is the world. It doesn't, it's not like that is a dude in a fursuit, right? Right. Um, If, you know, Chewbacca is very much a, a, his own character, right? And I think that that comes Mm -hmm. through in the performance um, and, and also in, in the special effects and everything, but it does feel a little, yeah, less glossy, less like, you know, this is a Hollywood production and more like this is something that a group of people are doing by the seat of their pants practically. Yeah. Um, so one of the interesting things I think that, you know, people talk about, especially with regards to the original Star Wars is the, the fact that uh, George Lucas ripped off the Hidden Fortress. Mm-hmm. Um, Kurosawa's Hidden Fortress, and it was funny rewatching this again because I'd forgotten that a large section, like twenty minutes of the film, is C three PO and R two D two wandering in a desert, mm-hmm. and like getting captured, and and that's kind of our introduction, like our introduction to this entire universe that would become so iconic, is is a two droids, one of whom does not speak and just beeps the other one is constantly complaining and is upset and is like (laughs) and then it's just like well screw you little guy i'm gonna go this way and then he's like the entire the first 20 minutes of the film are basically that before we get introduced really to um any of our major heroes we get a brief introduction to princess leia we get an introduction to uh darth vader but it's pretty much just these two little droids wandering around being like what the fuck are we supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, and I think part of why that works is because, um, well, by this point, if you've sat down for Star Wars, you know you're in for something that's going to be kind of silly um, based on the the trailers and things. So I think people who went to see it initially were on board. I think anybody who didn't go the first weekend probably listened to their friends who were like, okay, it's a little bit weird, but just go with it, right? Um, but I think part of why that works is because, um, particularly Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, I think he's all of us if we were just like suddenly in a desert wandering around with no direction. Like, <laughs> oh, it's hot. This is gross. I just don't want to be here. I'm miserable. And it, and so it's really entertaining to watch him because he just, he sells it. He really does. Well, and and in, in terms of the references to Hidden Fortress, this is, um, it's been a while since I've seen Hidden Fortress, but one of the major opening scenes is literally basically two peasants who have mm-hmm. been fighting in this war, walking around the desert, complaining, yeah. Um, yeah. complaining about the fact that we've been fighting for so long, we're tired, we're grumpy, why are we doing this? They're kind of, they're bickering with each other, they're fighting with each other, <laughs> um, and and they get into like these altercations and they're just they're they're kind of the grunts right they're the workers yeah. they're the people that are actually fighting the battles and i do like the fact that the initial star wars trilogy opens with grunts right with these like two droids one of whom happens to be given these plans right in order for him to get off the the spaceship before he's captured and the other one is just kind of along for the ride, almost by accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like these two have just kind of been together. We don't know until, you know, years, years later why they've been together all this time. But they've just kind of been stuck together and they're just going to stay together, even though clearly C-3PO is so annoyed 
by R2D2. <laughs> but he also, what else is he going to do? He's not going to be by himself. I, this is one of the things that I think is so fun about about all of Star Wars, but especially that we really get introduced to in the first film, is that the droids aren't just like machines. You know, they have personalities. Yeah. They have, he's so anxious all the time. He gets scared all the time. R2 gets scared. He gets sad. When when C-3PO calls him, like, what, an overweight blob of grease or something, he's like, oh, <laughs> he's sad about it. And I just, I think that's just so fun that these, that droids that, you know, are supposed to just be machines kind of have this emotional, uh, these emotional personalities. And, uh, and I, that's part of why they're just so impossible not to love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this these films do a very good job also at like non so the characters who don't speak English, right? Mm-hmm. The characters who like speak alien languages, R2D2 only beeps, etc., still giving them personalities. Yeah. Right? You kind of you understand I'm in watching Return of the Jedi, I I realize like you uh, you kind of understand what the Ewoks are saying, right? Mm-hmm. You understand what R2D2 is saying. You understand when he's like probably cursing c3po out <laughs> like, yeah yeah like it they, they they do a really good job and this is part of the sound design as well but they do a really good job at um creating this sensation that yeah these are living creatures right these are um they're sentient yeah yeah they they have their and they communicate and they understand each other mm-hmm. yeah what i wanted to say too just to uh about hidden fortress is so it's funny because I remember this is probably 15 years ago now. I remember there was a conversation I wasn't necessarily part of, but I was just kind of, it was happening near me <laughs> and I was listening to some people talk about um, the hidden fortress and star Wars. And one kid who was very much into star Wars was getting so frustrated that everyone was like, yeah, George Lucas just ripped off the hidden fortress. And he's like, no, he just was inspired by it. And it's like, so they were arguing over whether it was inspiration or just stealing it. And I don't think it really is necessary. I think a lot of people have opinions. I don't think it's necessarily like an answerable question, but uh, what I think is funny is boom, right off the bat. I don't think George Lucas is trying to hide where his inspiration came from because of this sequence. Like it's so clearly derived from the hidden fortress that i think i think he's just kind of letting people know right off the bat like yeah this is this is kind of my version of that story yeah i mean we can argue about how much i how much of it is a ripoff and not because (laughs) because like even the characterizations of like princess leia upon solo Mm -hmm. um and i i have to say if you watch the hidden fortress it's not a one-to-one thing or anything like that it's not like i'm i've jokingly said that oh it's george lucas's remake of the hidden fortress um but a lot of people have said that too that's what's funny it's like yeah it sort of is but it, it also isn't and it also like obviously goes off in its own direction um but yeah, influences are. I I think that one of the issues that comes up when you when you're dealing with Star Wars is that with Star Wars, there's always the issue with the fans. Yeah, and the problem is that there's this tendency for the fans to be like, no, this is like the most completely unique thing in the history of film, <laughs> right? And yeah. that's where it begins to get annoying. It's just like, well, no, actually, this is a mashup of the Hidden Fortress and the Dam Busters. 
Mm-hmm. Like that's where this comes from. A lot of the imagery, a lot of you know the characterizations, all of these things are coming from from these other films. And then that gets turned into an insult, and then you get into sort of a fight with it. The fact is, yeah, um, George Lucas ripped off the Hidden Fortress. Whatever you want to say about it, this is like that's one of the things that that goes into the original Star Wars, right? Um, and, but the thing is that, and I think this is where some people get really upset about it and defensive about it and stuff unnecessarily is. Like any movie that came out after 1920 <laughs> has references and inspiration from other movies. And we've talked about this at length, you know. I mean, look at Ra- Raiders of the Lost Ark, which came out just a couple years after this. I know that was Spielberg directed it, but Lucas produced it. Um, they and the two of them worked a lot together and shared a lot of of stuff back and forth, but that everything that they did came from the things that inspired them as children that they were really into. So it's like, it's not an insult to say, at least it shouldn't be an insult to say, yeah, this, this, you know, is very heavily influenced by the hidden fortress. It's, it's just a fact. And it's like, if people would just accept that that's a fact, then it's like, you can totally enjoy this for its own thing. Just don't ignore (laughs) where the inspiration came from. Well, and, and that's that's the thing. I mean, we we talk about, you know, to go slightly off topic, but we talk about um, like the Clint Eastwood Westerns from the 70s that were yeah. remakes of Yojimbo and Sanjuro, right? Right. Um, that we talk about The Magnificent Seven, which is a remake of Seven Samurai. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got films that are like more or less explicitly, they might not openly acknowledge it, but more or less explicitly remakes into a different milieu. And that's essentially what this is. Yeah. Instead of a Western, it's... A space western. Space western, <laughs> yeah. Space space place. Um, and and that's fine. There's there's nothing wrong with that. I and I do think that where the conflict begins to come in is this this desire that like no Star Wars is this completely unique thing. Yeah. And it is unique in a lot of ways, but it's also not. And it it doesn't need to be, right? If, even if you look at all of the narrative beats of this film, it's very simple. It's very straightforward. You know who the bad guys are. You know who the good guys are. Like, literally, they're dressing in white and black. Yeah, it you follows <laughs> the the hero's journey. And George Lucas was very clear about that. He didn't try to hide that fact or make it, you know, sneaky or clever. Yeah. It's and, very and, clear. And I think that that's something that should be embraced and it should be noted. And, you know, to, to try to claim, like, well, this is the most unique film that has ever been made. Or that there's something particularly special about Star Wars is um, is silly. Is silly. (laughs) That's what it comes down to. Well, okay, but I do think what is special about Star Wars is not the story and it's not the characters. I mean, the characters are fun and I love them, but it's really what this movie did for the the world of special effects. And yeah, that's a good and particularly sound effects um that's where star wars is special and that's where it has completely it back in the 70s this production completely changed the world of what movies look like now yeah and that's that's, why it's special that's that's a very good point um and and that that was one of the things that one of our uh lovely patrons nanina who's also been on the show 
um, mentions is that, and this is what she had to say, Ben Burt is a genius and deserves so much credit for the feel of the series. So much of the iconic imagery that we think of from Star Wars aren't visual, it's the soundscapes that he created. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's true. And, you know, when we talk about John Williams' score and the, um, the, but like the, yeah, the noises, the sounds of, like I say, the pew pew of the, of the uh, blasters, the, um, the explosions, the sounds of, the speeders all of those different things like mm-hmm. are so iconic and so recognizable and they work so well like they they fit into the world yeah. there's never this sense it never pulls you out of the film and the structure of the sound within the film is really fantastic it's true and i mean ben burt is so iconic um in the world of sound he actually i mean he's done so many movies that people have have seen in addition to the star wars universe he did uh top gun um he's done a lot of stuff with disney he's continued to work with uh spielberg um like i mean he's just if there's a sound effects heavy film that you have seen in the last 40 years he either worked on it or he taught the people who worked on it yeah uh, that that definitely that definitely needs to be noted Mm -hmm. um but I do also want to point out just on the subject of, of the visual effects, though, um, the visual effects as a standing Oscar category began in 1977 because of Star Wars and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It really it was, was. It was occasionally an award that was handed out as a special achievement, but it wasn't until 1977 at the 50th Oscars that they introduced it as a category. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It really was a time of spectacular in- innovation in um in this and i i I believe that uh 2001 was also released within the same year uh maybe 2001 2001 a space odyssey no that was 1968 which did get a special visual effects citation so yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) anyway so that's where star wars was a game changer and yes that is what made it unique among among films (laughs) (laughs) and also i have to say so in terms of the the this this film right it's there's so many things in rewatching it that i was like man like you know i i i i think one of the problems with star wars is that the fans have caused a lot of difficulties in just enjoying the films but Mm -hmm. when we get introduced to luke he's this whiny little farm boy yeah like he's you know late teens early 20s very like i mean one of the first things that he says is but i want to go to tashi station (laughs) like that was one of his first lines in the entire film just like here's your hero everybody Mm -hmm. um but he does actually go through like he grows up he goes through development he learns how to do things one of my favorite scenes in uh in the film is when like he's training for the first time and like learning how to use the lightsaber and everything <laughs> and uh and he gets into an argument about the force with han solo <laughs> and is so the shocked force, which he just learned about like five minutes ago exactly he is so shocked and so annoyed that like oh you don't believe in the force do you han and it's just like you mean that thing that that you literally just found out about like <laughs> that you had not heard of until like two days ago and mm-hmm. now is the basis of your entire life like that thing no i don't believe in the invisible force that surrounds us sorry <laughs> luke but it it is i think that you pointed out it's very much in keeping with the characterization of luke at that age that he is this kind of snotty 
teenager, right? Yeah. He's this kid who's never been off of, never really been out of his hometown, never been off of his planet, um, who's kind of plunged into this world and is learning all things, all these new things about himself, about the world as he understands it, loses his family, um, mm -hmm. you know, it, and is kind of in the midst of all of this without really intending to be. Um, but all of his behavior is very much in keeping in a lot of ways with his characterization. And again, it doesn't undercut the fact that he eventually becomes the hero. Right. It actually, I think in some ways kind of makes his arc a little stronger. Like you really see if he had started off as like this, this really driven um, kind of stalwart, smart kid then it would have been like, oh, well, yeah, of course he's going to become this huge hero. But because he starts off as as a teenager that so many of us recognize, either in ourselves or in the people around us, you know, from teenagehood, but because he kind of starts off as a bit of a whiner, he, like the growth and the arc that he, that he kind of finishes, it really does uh, feel more complete. It feels more mm -hmm. like, yeah, you can really see that progression. Yeah. Even from the beginning to the end of the film. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, his, he's always got this idealism, right? Mm -hmm. And that he's like, we have to do the right thing. And and you get that more and more. I, I, I do like, I like the snottiness, actually, in some ways. <laughs> like, they're, like, at a certain point when they're talking about attacking the Death Star, and he's like, oh, I used to bullseye womp rats in my speeder back home. They're not my... <laughs> and it's like, you are... 20 years old sitting in this group of like veteran fighters right mm -hmm. and they're saying like this is a really difficult thing to do it's just like well i could totally do it yeah and, yeah <laughs> and i'm guessing this is just a guess i haven't heard him say it but i'm guessing lucas probably um took some of that from knowing the kids he knew that went off to vietnam that probably thought mm -hmm. oh this is gonna be no big deal and then it was like no war is actually terrible yeah. And it's really hard and you're going to lose people and it's going to suck. Yeah. And, and I think that you, I think that we get that actually throughout the series. That's a really good point because with the, when you get to the empire strikes back, when you have Luke in particular, who's become more of a war veteran, right? He's been in battle. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he, it gets a lot darker. It gets a lot harder. He goes through a lot more trauma. Um, and it's slightly different for people like princess Leia, who is kind of, has always been sort of raised to be a leader, right? And someone like Han Solo, who's older and who's also like, obviously has been in a lot of bad scrapes his entire life. But Luke in particular, like he gets, he gets heavier. He gets like more traumatized. He has to deal with a lot more. And throughout, throughout uh, The Empire Strikes Back, I don't necessarily want to move away from the first film yet, but throughout The Empire Strikes Back, we get more of that, the sense of like him becoming more of a veteran, him realizing what the cost of war actually looks like versus in the first film where he's just sort of excited, right? Mm -hmm. He's excited to go off and be, in a, be a pilot and battle the Empire. Yeah. I think one of the other things about Luke's journey too is that... Um... And the funny thing is, I think that they're trying to tell him repeatedly that this isn't the case. But what he seems to hear from Yoda and from Obi-Wan is this, this sense that he's the one. He's the one who can bring balance to the Force. He's the one who needs to go after Vader. And that all of this rests on his shoulders. And so this is this heavy burden for this guy who didn't 
who had never, like you say, had never seen life outside of his little tiny, tiny world. And now he thinks that the fate of the universe is, is on his shoulders or at least the galaxy, you know? And even though Mm -hmm. he is surrounded by people, which is something that by the time you get to the end, I think he understands that more, but I think that's part of, of where Luke's um, heaviness does come from is this weight of feeling that so much rests on his shoulders that no one else can do it. It's up to him. (laughs) Even though Yoda explicitly tells him that that's not true. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And one of the many, many reasons why I pissed off at the sequels. Um, But yeah, yeah. Yoda is basically like, by the way, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's not all on you. Yeah. But um. So I, I don't know where we want to go with this. Do we want to talk about the other characters? Do we want to move on to the next next films? How do, let's how do talk we about go? well, let's talk about the other characters and let's touch a little bit on the um special edition stupid stuff that they added. <laughs> <laughs> first of all, Han shot first. Yes, yes. And I always enjoy seeing that in the original film. <laughs> that mm-hmm. is like Han shot first. But again, I think that it does. You know, people talk about, oh, no, Han shot first. Like, it's actually an important character point. It is. Again, this is the first time we've met Han Solo. We meet him partway through the film. He he shows up and he's a mercenary. Like, and he's very explicit about being a mercenary. I want money. And then I will give you that. I'm like, I'll I'll take you where you need to go. Right. But you got to pay me. You got to give me money and you got to give it to me up front. And so they have this debate. They have this haggling. There is like throughout particularly this the first film, there is no uh, there's none of that idealism. Right. And and he's resisting idealism. And the shooting of Greedo is very important in the establishment of Han's character. This is the sort of person that he is. He's not waiting for Greedo to draw on him. He's like, Greedo is here. He wants to kill me. I know he wants to kill me. So I'm going to kill him first. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. And that's, it's such an important character moment. And it's also important in terms of his character development, because by the end of the film, Han shows up. Right. He rather than going back and paying off his debt and doing the thing that is selfish and that is important to him in terms of like protecting himself. Right. He decides I actually have to do something. I actually have to be there. And he he winds up, you know, saving the day, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's important for Han's arc that he shoots first. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of the things that's so frustrating with the, the special editions is that it in in this there was this weird need like okay well we need to make sure that han isn't an aggressor that he just does it in self-defense but it's like but why the way that that plays out even with greedo you know shooting and completely missing which how did how would that even have happened you know like it's just the way that that it's done in the special edition not only does it take away from that character arc which is an excellent point, but also mm-hmm. it just, it looks stupid <laughs> and, and it doesn't, it doesn't make sense story-wise why Han yeah. would have had his weapon out. And that like, if he wouldn't, if he didn't intend to use it, I just, it, it's, I don't know. It just, it doesn't work. And then you go right from that to him running into Jabba who Greedo was there on behalf of Jabba. He's a bounty hunter that was going to take, take, han mm-hmm. over to him so it's like why did jabba show up then in 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 the you know bunker or whatever where the yeah. 
the Millennium Falcon is, and then just start like all of a sudden, like suddenly or already, Jabba knows that Han just killed Greedo thirty seconds ago, and he's here to talk about it. And then they like forge some other deal, and it just it looks silly. It's so clear that that Jabba is inserted digitally. It was not a real person. When you see him in Return of the Jedi, there's like six big men puppeting that. And mm-hmm. what you see in this special edition of the of the first movie is definitely not. And it just it just it looks weird. It doesn't fit and it and it doesn't add anything to the story. That's a good point. And and also I like the fact that Jabba is kind of the shadowy figure for yeah. most of for the first two films, right? Mm-hmm. We know about him. We know that like Han is in trouble, that he owes this gangster money, right? And that the gangster has been sending out bounty hunters after him. So like Han is in danger, right? Yeah. And he actually he's and in fact, even in uh Empire Strikes Back, he's like, I I should really leave. Like I should go mm-hmm. and deal with this. And he keeps on not being able to. And then eventually like he gets captured, et cetera. But, um, but so you get this, this Jabba figure, Who, what the hell is a hut, right? Who's, J- what do you mean Jabba the hut? What does that look like? So that when we actually get to him in return of the Jedi and we meet Jabba and he's, and he's such a fantastic, creepy, bizarre character, exactly the kind of gangster, like mm-hmm. character that would be a gangster in this world. Right. Yep. We get that. And so introducing him that early and like not having him be this background figure, right, who is very important, but at the end is kind of driving Han's story forward. Um, but we never actually see it. It really lessens the tension there. Yeah. And and it makes him comical, too. It makes him more it makes him less creepy and sort of shadowy and more sort of like, oh, is he's a gigantic slug. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then you just get dumb, dumb things like Han stepping on his tail and stuff. And it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. what is the point of any of this? It does. And like I say, it does not add to the story at all. And that's one of my problems. Nina made a really good point in her comment, but um, also one of just one of my, if they're going to exist, these special editions, um, one of my frustrations with them is that nothing that gets added adds anything to the story it's just extra and none of it is necessary some of it it's like okay some additional animals or whatever fine it 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 doesn't add or take away but then there's other things like a random musical number gets added to return of the jedi and it's just so it's so distracting and it really stops the momentum of what's happening in in that sequence that it just it's very annoying yeah, I think that that's a good point. The places where it does get added that it actually has an effect on the plot has a detrimental effect. So the addition mm-hmm. of Jabba in in uh, Star Wars, in the uh, you know the Han Han doesn't shoot first sequence, all of that, it actually is just like, well, you've actually now confused the issue. Like right. we understood what was going on before, and now we're confused by it. the addition. You know, at putting in um, what's his name Hayden Christensen in. Um, Mm-hmm. uh in place anakin. of as yeah. anakin right uh all of that's just like why why did you do that so it's, it's just an, so disrespectful it's, to david prowse yeah exactly it's di- it's disrespectful to and you know i mean we we could probably mention this as well it's disrespectful to the original directors george yeah. lucas 
directed the first Star Wars. He did not direct Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And that's un- it's unfair for them to, to be like, okay, now that the, this is my film, this is, belongs to me. It's like, it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to those guys too. It belongs to mm-hmm. those artists who worked on this. So it's not, and then to like vault it basically and be like, we're never going to let you see the original right. things that these directors produced. Um, and this, this is something that Nanina mentioned as well. Uh, it's fine to do new cuts of movies, but to literally make the original versions completely unavailable, it's messed up. And he didn't direct Empire and Jedi. They are not his films. Exactly. So, yeah, I I think that that's something that, that should really be noted. You know, beyond, you know, does this work? Does it not work? It's just like, it doesn't matter. You fucked with something that doesn't really belong to you. Right. And... And that, and you've like ignored, like you say, disrespectful to the actors, disrespectful to the directors and all of the other artists who worked so hard on these films and to just be like, well, it belongs to me so I can do what I want with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> let's talk about Princess Leia. I want to talk about Princess Leia for a minute. I do too. I love her. Kind <laughs> <laughs> of jumping all over the place, but that's all right. I did not like Princess Leia for ages. And I think I think it's my own internalized misogyny. Um, I think it's a result of of you know being like, well, this who's this woman thinks she is? She's being so obnoxious and everything. I I love the fact that so Princess Leia has been through it right from the beginning of the film. She gets captured. She sees her home planet destroyed. Like like everyone she has ever known is murdered. Um, she is she's been tortured. She's in prison. The first thing that she says when her rescuers show up is, aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? <laughs> like, that's her first reaction of just like, I'm just like, you look stupid. <laughs> because and well, the thing is, she doesn't necessarily know she's about to get rescued. Yeah, true. True. But, but like, I, I really like that about her, that she mm-hmm. is just like, She's been through all of this stuff. And I think that Carrie Fisher's performance is very much shows that like she's affected by all of this. It's not like she has no emotional connection to any of it, but she still has this like desire. Again, that's that sort of snotty teenager attitude of, of being like, well, you're short. Don't you look like an idiot? <laughs> and then he's like, well, I'm here to rescue you. It's just like, well, you suck at it. <laughs> Oh, I love her so much. I really do. And I think part of the the biggest reason why, especially in the first film, is because she does say exactly what she's thinking. And she's also very decisive. She's just like, this is what's going to happen. She doesn't mm-hmm. she doesn't wait for the men around her to make decisions. Yeah. And, and in fact, she tells them numerous times we need we need to get going like and she mm-hmm. she even criticizes them for figuring out how to get in, but not how to get out. <laughs> yeah. They're just like, oh, you yeah. didn't have an escape plan. Mm-hmm. Great, I'll do it. Yeah. I don't love her clear racism against Wookiees <laughs> by making that comment about... About the walking carpet. Yeah, that's not very nice. But she grows. She she has room to grow, too. She does. <laughs> and I, and I, I mean, in terms of, you know, we talked about Luke's arc and, and Han's arc, she also has an arc. And she does yes. change over the course of three films. And I do think that some of it is like at the at the beginning, she is she's a princess, right? She's she's royalty and she's very much like, I'm going to take charge of things. I know exactly what I'm doing. 
And then as, as the stories go on, she does become more uncertain. She becomes more adult. Um, and it isn't just that like, oh, she falls in love or anything like that. She also becomes more of a commander and becomes more involved in like actually the planning of attacks and um, and in the fighting and, and everything like that. She absorbs some of what it goes on around her. What, I love the ending um, in the final, one of the final fights in Return of the Jedi where she, you know, Han moves and she shoots the guy and it's it's very cool. She absorbs the behavior of some of the people around her and becomes a much more complete person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's pretty clear that they didn't know until much later that uh, they were going to make Luke and Leia siblings. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> well, if they had known, if they knew right away, then there are some very disturbing shit that happens. Well, and, there's there's a line in in Return of the Jedi, just like I know, I've uh, somehow I've always. I was just like, have then why did you make out with him and like, Han to make Han jealous? Because that's I, gross. I don't know about that. Well, and even I think that she says that. Uh, she says that to Luke and then at some point like when she tells Han oh by the way he's my brother yeah um and like, duh <laughs> and Han has this look on his face of just like he's replaying the entire relationship that he's had with her and that she's had with Luke and he's just like wait a minute what uh-huh. I was supposed to intuit somehow that he was your brother after all of that like <laughs> I think that's what I love about the way she says it. She says it so matter of fact, like, yeah, we've always known this. And it's like, no, we fucking haven't. It's like, well, of course he's my brother. Like, you didn't know? And he's like, no, I didn't. Because you, like, made out with him. And were, like, flirting with him. And, like, there were all kinds of things that I was like, hmm, what's going on there? Oh, I'm a little jealous now. Like, the way she hangs on to him in the first movie when they're having to, you know, jump across the the big cavernous thing you know whatever when they can't get the the bridge to move and it's like there's just so many so many things along the way where it's like i don't i don't uh hold on to my brother like that we don't hug like that (laughs) we definitely don't kiss like that (laughs) but i kind of feel like it's her her uh statement of somehow i've always known is a little bit excusable in that um sometimes like you hear something and it just sounds so correct and familiar mm-hmm. yeah even though you've never like ever given it any sort of thought before and i i feel like that's really what they were going for there it's just it does make it really weird when you're like but i remember an empire strikes back <laughs> what happened there <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a weird, you know, I, and amazingly enough, I do think that the Luke Leia relationship is one of the less believable elements of a lot of this. Like I was I was even thinking about it watching the first film. Like it's like, okay, yeah, of course. So Obi-Wan is is in the desert because he's he's watching over Luke, right? That makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. And and then the droids are like looking for him because again, that makes sense. So like all kind of the plot machinations make sense. And then when you get the Luke-Leia relationship, because Luke is suddenly like, oh, Leia's my sister. And you're just like, why would you imagine that? Why would you be like <laughs> this random woman that I rescued, right? Mm-hmm. Who has lived on a completely different planet from me. 
is definitely my sister. Why? Because she's the only other major female character in the film. <laughs> because yeah. that's pretty much the reason why, you know. And and it is it's it's difficult to accept actually, and it's especially difficult to accept that Luke and that both of them are pretty much like, oh, that makes sense. It's like, no, I don't think that it does. Like, I think you have more questions about all kinds of things actually. So okay. I, I I definitely see where you're going, but the thing is, the reason they were brought together was because of Obi-Wan, who yeah. knew that they were a brother and sister. And this is where the the history in the prequels comes into play. And like you have to you do need a little bit of that to fill in some of these gaps. Um, but it's like, okay, once you know, it's like, okay, so Obi-Wan knew her adoptive father. Yeah. And knew where she was. She knew that he was important. She didn't know why. She just knew that he had worked with her father. And that he was someone that she needed to reach out to. So it's like. I guess when you look at it that way. It's like okay I can see. They were brought together by a character. Who did know the truth about them. Yeah I still. I I still think it's strange credulity. A little bit that. Sure. I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm just like, I can kind of see why they felt (laughs) like, yeah, we'll do it this way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Sure. Whatever. Um, let's well, you know, let's talk about Obi-Wan, because he he is such an important character who only appears um like as a major character in the first film and then pops up as a force ghost (laughs) running Mm -hmm. around throughout the other two, and including at one point being like, I totally did not lie to you. I, I, I made statements that could be construed as lies from a certain point of view. (laughs) And it always drives me crazy when he makes that speech, just like, well, so what I told you was true from a certain point of view. It's like, no, you fucking lied to him. Like, just like, oh, Vader betrayed and murdered. Like, you know what you were saying there, bro. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. But I love Obi-Wan. I, I love Obi-Wan and I think Alec Guinness, who by all accounts did not understand what the hell these films were about. Um, <laughs> but he's still, you know, he's a great actor, first of all. He gives a great performance, but there there is that like that you believe on the one hand that he is this kind of reclusive, weird hermit. And on the other hand, oh, by the way, I'm actually a fantastically powerful Jedi. <laughs> Space yeah. wizard, whatever. Yeah, like he's seen some shit too. Yes, he has. Yeah. Um, he he also is very important in the sense that he gives us our exposition mm-hmm. uh, to kind of get get the film going, get the entire story going. It's like, all right, well, we better go to Alderaan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you better yeah. come with me. Well, and that's the thing. And so it's like he he's the only one available that knows any of the history of of what happened. I mean, there's a lot of other people around. Mm-hmm. Clearly, Uncle Owen knows about who Darth Vader really is. Um, and just the history of the Empire and stuff. It's like, don't they teach history in these schools? Do these kids go to school? What's going on here? <laughs> but uh <laughs> But Ben is the or Obi-Wan is the only one that Luke has uh, has access to that's willing to tell him some of the history of what really happened. Yeah. And, and clue him in. And also lie through his teeth. And also lie through his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like the tendency of the the other two Jedi major Jedi's right are, are uh, Obi Wan and Yoda. Both of them avoid Yoda almost to the point of death 
<laughs> telling Luke the truth about his father. Like he tries and so hard not to. Like like Yoda, I again I love the scene. I love Yoda. I love the scene um where he's dying and finally Luke is like, Is Darth Vader my father? Like he asks him straight out. He's the, there's no like hedging or anything like that. And Yoda's like, Oh, I gotta sleep. Oh, I must rest. I must rest. <laughs> And you're just like, Yoda, you are trying to die without telling this kid the truth. Yeah, well, and I think that it makes sense why. Because for Obi-Wan and for Yoda, they see that there is no good in Darth Vader anymore. Um, that he is not, um, like, there, there's no rescuing him. There's no saving him. There's no, um, what's the other word I'm looking for? Um, basically, he can't be redeemed. Yeah. And like the only answer for Darth Vader is death because he's done some horrible things. And for Luke, I think that they don't want him to know that that is his father because then he'll have this pull of like, no, there's there's still good there, which is exactly what happens with Luke. And he's yeah. determined to find that his father, the person that that fathered him, uh is not this horrible evil person that there's still something there that is worth saving and yeah. and it turns out that luke is not wrong but i you know for for obi-wan and yoda they they can't see that well and and it's interesting because in in yoda's death scene right he he says like oh it's unfortunate and luke's like oh you mean it's unfortunate that i know the truth and Yoda's response is no unfortunate that like you came to face him before you were ready to mm -hmm. and because yoda realizes that the only way that luke knows this is because darth vader told him right yeah. so he's like i am not happy that you faced him before you were ready and before you had completed your training um yeah. and that that's one of the issues so you know there there's a lot of complicated issues i think with with yoda and with the choices that he makes and obi-wan the choices that he makes but one of the things that I find really interesting in that scene in particular is where he very much knows like this kid is not done yet. He is not ready to deal with some of the things that he's going to have to deal with. And he's sort of going to, he's going to have to deal with it now because it's happened. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that makes sense also when you consider the past with Anakin and, and all of those things, whether or not I, I halfway ignore the prequels as being particularly canon or anything else, yeah. but, um, but even so this knowledge. Yeah, Cause I'm sorry, you don't get redeemed for murdering a room full of school children. That was a terrible choice. <laughs> there are all kinds of terrible choices. Uh, but, yeah. but yeah, this, this like sense that, you know, Yoda knows the truth about luke's father beyond beyond what luke knows beyond what the audience knows and again i think that this is something that's really good about the original trilogy is that you get the sense that this is a part of a bigger story mm -hmm. you get that background but you only have enough background for to be able to understand it you know that anakin was once this great pilot was this great jedi and that at some point turned to the dark side and they had to hide his own children from him right um and we don't have anything more than that, right? You get those little moments of like Leia remembering her mother mm -hmm. um, and and re remembering that she was beautiful and she was kind, but she was sad. You know, mm -hmm. so you have these wonderful little snapshots throughout all three of the films of the past and how the past has affected these people and the lives that they have had to live. 
without having to go into these major details and this major background of like what actually happened. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we're kind of, we've kind of bounced all over the place. We have, (laughs) but that's okay. So any, anything else that we should talk about before we decide to close this out, we're just going all over the place on, on all of the various films. Um, Yeah, I actually, there is one thought that I had, and this is kind of jumping back a little bit into the creation of the special editions, but also with the the prequels and the sequels and everything. Um, I think that one of the, and I know Lucas, George Lucas sold the studio. He doesn't own Star Wars anymore. That is 100% Disney now. But um, I think one of the problems and why this became what it did, not just with all these movies and things of varying qualities, but like the fans, everything about it. I think, you know, George Lucas had such an interesting early career. He did, um, what is it? THX 1138. He did, mm-hmm. you know, American graffiti, which is a good movie. Like he had, he had this really interesting start in film. And then he has this idea for star Wars, all his, his director friends like Coppola and Scorsese and all these other people that were his contemporaries kind of laughed at him and said, this is stupid. Don't do it. Um, and Spielberg was like, "Eh, I think there's something here. And so he ends up making it, but then it ends up becoming basically the only thing he ever does after that. And, and, you know, it's like, I remember, and I, I hesitate to bring her up, but I think this is relevant to this. Um, and I think we've seen it play out really clearly too as a direct comparison. But I remember when the seventh Harry Potter book was getting released and JK Rowling was on Oprah. And Oprah, it was like Oprah's final season, you know, and it was the last Harry Potter book, and there was just a lot happening. And I remember Oprah asked you know, what do you do from here? Where where do you go from here? And then she referenced Michael Jackson, who after Thriller had always been trying to like get to that level again and nothing he Mm -hmm. ever did ever hit the same popularity as Thriller. And she referenced, you know, this idea of chasing the phenomenon and asked Rowling, like, what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to avoid that fate? And she's like, oh, I have some other ideas, but I don't know. And the answer is she didn't. You know, she's Mm -hmm. written a couple of other things, but she just keeps messing with her own history, her own stories to the point where there's just dumb stuff that has just come out, regardless of her personal life, which is a whole other mess of dumb stuff. Um, But George Lucas did that too. He just couldn't ever let it go. He was always trying to... um, to like tweak it to he he couldn't abandon the art you know he could he never could just put it away he was always trying to do something that just kept star wars like as popular as possible and it's like you know i'm not opposed to the expansion of the universe and you know some of the shows have been fun and things but it's like he just he just couldn't ever stop playing with it and that's where you get the problem of him messing with other directors work mm-hmm. of him adding things that don't need to be there of it was it all really stemmed from him just not being able to let this go and let the audience just have it yeah i i think that that's a really good point and and there's some things in over which he had no control he didn't really 
have any control over how big this got and right. how popular it got and how and the investment of fans in, in all of this. But it has reached the point where, you know, when when you actually go back to the original films, I said this on Twitter the other day, when you actually go back to the original films. They're kind of silly. They're mm-hmm. they're fun. They're adventurous. You've got some terrible dialogue but also a lot of really good plot arcs and really interesting elements and like fantastic special effects and you know a real investment in all that 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 initial assault on the death star is such a well filmed right well made yeah. piece of film it's so exciting to watch mm-hmm. um the final, the battle, final battle in return of the jedi yeah. Yeah. All the the intercutting of the different fights that are going on, the space fight, the fight between Luke and Vader, um, the final battle on Endor, like all of those things. It's really well put together. Props to Marsha Lucas, by the way. We have not mentioned her. I want to mm-hmm. mention her. Props to Marsha Lucas, who edited um the the various films and also edited like Taxi Driver and all kinds of things. And I'm like, I can't believe that I did not know this. Um, she really is responsible for at least some of the pacing and the structure of some of these films. But yeah, the, these films are so much fun and they're so much fun to watch and there's so much fun to like kind of get invested in. The thing that makes them less fun is the degree of seriousness with which people have taken them and yeah. have treated them and have been like, these things are, are on the one hand, like you say, are sacrosanct, but on the other hand, Lucas keeps on messing with them. Right. Mm-hmm. These are sacred objects, but we're going to keep on tweaking them and playing around with them and changing them um, to make them more palatable. I, I don't even understand, like, like, you know, some of the things we were talking about, about the special editions, some of the choices are just confusing and like why this doesn't do anything. It makes <laughs> it makes it worse. You you congratulations. You've made it worse. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Star Wars as, as kind of a phenomenon has become it's become so weighed down by its own lore that it's easy to lose what actually makes the film, the original film so successful. And what made them so successful to begin with is that they were good pieces of entertainment. Yeah. And we've, we've lost some of that. I think, I think that's one of the issues that I have, not just with the prequels, but particularly with the sequels is that there is, you've got this universe that it's implied. And again, some of that, some of the the world building that that Lucas does in the first film and that the other directors do in the, in the Empire Strikes Back and in Return of the Jedi, you get the sense of this expansive universe. And there's so much to play with in that. So mm-hmm. to just continuously go back to the same stories, the same structure, the same family, right? After a while, it's just like there's is there nothing else in this world? And I think that that's why some of the these kind of offshoot um, television shows and other stories have actually been, better in a lot of ways than the main, you know, whatever can canonical arcs um, because there isn't the same sense of repetition. It's like, let's look at what the rest of the world actually looks like. But even then they're constantly coming back to, we've got to come back to the Skywalkers. We've got to come back yeah. to Palpatine. We've got to keep on doing this over and over and over again. It's like, but we don't, it's, it is that sense of trying to recapture something that you can't get a hold of. You're never going to make Star Wars, the original film, ever again. That's it. Right. And I do feel like people like J.J. Abrams are tr- kept on trying to make Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and and it's it's so frustrating because, like, 
I remember years ago, I was watching something about Star Trek. And at the time, because of the shows that had occurred at that point, I don't remember how many there were, um, because there have been so many since then. But uh, I remember at the time someone said that in like internally what they had um what they had mapped out in star in the star trek like the producers and writers and stuff they mapped out that the um that the characters across all the movies and and shows had explored about 19 percent of the universe and that's a whole lot of universe left to explore and i remember hearing that and just thinking why does star wars not go that direction too of like Mm -hmm. we've spent so much time in this section of this galaxy there's so many other worlds that we haven't explored and moons and things there's also other galaxies (laughs) like (laughs) why you know why aren't we exploring some of that why are we so stuck in this this timeline and these you know this this political era you know Mm -hmm. Well, and and to yeah, that's that's one of the things that I didn't like about the sequels. All, honestly, all of them, and I I don't think it's not you know any one particular filmmaker's fault, but there is so much possibility in the downfall of an empire, and there's so much to do within that. Mm-hmm. And what they did was reinvent the empire, and just like okay, we're gonna have an empire again. It's like why? Why, you know, in, instead of actually exploring the aftermath of all of this, why are we spending all of our time reinventing the same fucking thing? And it's, that's what I found, that's what I find exhausting about a lot of the Star Wars stuff is that it, there is this attempt to constantly redo the same thing over and mm-hmm. over and over again. And yeah, and they, they've never been able to escape from that. And I don't know if they ever will be able to. My understanding is that um, some of the novels actually do manage to kind of break away and do other things. Yeah. But um, but the films just haven't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're always chasing that phenomenon. Yeah. But, oh, well, the original movies are excellent. They're great. Yes. The Ewoks are freaking cute and also don't mess with them. <laughs> I, I've said it before. I love the Ewoks. Uh, I love the fact that it's like this little that that's well, maybe just to close this out. That's one of the things that I really do like about Star Wars is that we get characters like the Ewoks who are forgotten. There is this element of like the Empire is so big and the Emperor is so big and so grand and so powerful that he doesn't think about the fact that there might be this little tiny tribe of cannibalistic teddy bears mm-hmm. that are that he's never heard of, never seen, that even the rebels don't seem to completely realize exist, right? Yeah. And, and they're the ones that ultimately bring down the empire. Their influence, their participation is what brings it down. One of the things I love about the Ewoks is the fact that they don't have blasters and um and big machines or anything they have like slingshots and rocks yeah and traps well they're an indigenous tribe mm-hmm. that has been partially colonized um their their land has been taken by the empire to build this this one um basically guard shack for the death star and so they're just completely 
ignored and their abilities are really uh downplayed and and they're not taken as any sort of a serious threat the empire builds there because they feel like they can and for a while they can because the the ewoks don't do anything until the rebels show up and need need like they have to work together to uh to destroy Mm -hmm. the empire but um one of my my mom and i actually this week went because they re-released return of the jedi in theaters like for one week you know only and um first of all my question after it was over was so at the end when they're celebrating and the ewoks are like using some stormtrooper helmets as as drums are those just the helmets or did they go <laughs> decapitate some stormtroopers <laughs> no they ate some stormtroopers i'm sure they it did. is established that they eat people they're gonna <laughs> roast they're gonna roast han solo until yeah. he gets saved yep. so like yeah no they like ate they were eating good for a long time after that <laughs> And then, um, but my other observation, and this is, I think, probably a a good place to close it up, maybe, Um, you might think differently, but, (laughs) um, so there weren't a lot of people, it was like a weekday, late afternoon screening, so there weren't, it wasn't a full theater, but there were, apart from two couples that were there, everybody that was in our screening was, they were all women, it was all women, it was not men. And a lot of the women in there were, you know, women of color, because I live in an area that's not all white people, you know, and it was just like, it just really reinforced what I've always known and what a bunch of people tried to ignore or tried to convince themselves it wasn't true. And that is that Star Wars truly is for everyone. It -hmm. was one of those films that reached every, you know, every gender, every race, all sorts of you know socioeconomic statuses like everybody there was something in this for everyone and mm-hmm. at some point i saw a meme about this the other day and i was like or a tweet or something and i was just like yeah that is true and it was you know it was a promo um like reaction video from when return of the jedi opened and so many of the people that were talking in this video were like black men and hispanic women and just like a range of people that are Mm -hmm. all fans of this and the the person that shared it said how is it that we let a bunch of white nerd boys convince themselves and all of us that star wars was theirs i that's a that's a really good point i i do think that that's a good place to end yeah because, I mean, look at the two questions that we got were both from women. You mm-hmm. and I, both women who have grown up with this and love this. And, like, Star Wars really is for everybody. It It is. And I th- I think that a good point is that the undercurrent of the, of the original trilogy is about small groups of people fighting against an oppressor. Mm-hmm. And fighting against, you know, people who think that that power power is the ultimate goal that power is about who has the biggest weapon, who is able to cause the most destruction. And what that major power is brought down by is brought down by the love of a father for his son, the love of a son for his father, the Mm -hmm. love of people for their friends, and small groups of people being like, we're going to try to do something about the violence that is oppressing us and we might all die but we're gonna try to to save ourselves anyways 
Yep. And and that's that's the undercurrent running throughout the entire series, like ignoring all of the lore about the Skywalkers or anything else that that's what's brought down by it's brought the Empire is brought down by love and freedom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think that's a good place to end. Um, and it makes sense considering this came at a time where we had had two world wars and mm-hmm. the Vietnam War and stuff. And it makes sense that people who lived through all of that, whether they participated or just observed it like this, it makes sense that this would kind of have a hippie theme to it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for listening to our our discussion of the Star Wars films. And that was fun. I'm glad we got to do that. Um, and thank you to our lovely patrons, two of whom uh, sent us some comments. We're really happy. If you if seriously, if you're a patron, I've been sending out um, messages for like asking for questions, comments, please let us know if there's something, you know, you want to say, if there's a topic that you wanted that you want us to discuss. Um, we're always really happy to hear from our patrons. And our patrons include Ali, Brian, Connor, Estefania, Heather, James, Judy, Karen, Cariata, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, and Tao. Thank you so much for continuing to support us, guys. Um, And if you want to become one of their number, you get fun stuff like bonus episodes and stickers and buttons and episodes early. We should have a new bonus episode coming out before long. Um, and you could go to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash citizen dame. We also do still have our Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod, and our Ko-Fi account, co-fi.com slash citizen dame. Um, we also have our website where you can see our reviews, editorials, and various other things. That is citizendamepod.com. And we do post things like uh, Friday recommendations and other things on our Instagram, which is at Citizen Dame Pod. You can get in touch with us by email, citizendamepod at gmail.com. And of course, we are on the socials, including Twitter at Citizen Dame Pod and our letterbox HQ, which is at Citizen Dame. And there you can find our lists and links to articles and all sorts of fun stuff. So definitely go check that out. Ah, that's a large spiel. <laughs> Um, you can, you can also get in touch with us individually. Karen, where are you? I am on Twitter, Instagram, and letterboxd at Karen M. Peterson. And I am on the socials, uh, at LH business. I almost said at citizen Dame pod. And I was like, no, that's not right. (laughs) I mean, we're there too, but that's not where you are. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you guys later. Bye. Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. What happened? Uh, had a slight weapons malfunction, but uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? We're sending a squad up. Uh, uh, negative, negative. We have a, a reactor leak here uh, now. Give us a few minutes to lock it down. Uh, large leak, very dangerous. Who is this? What's your operating number? Uh, <laughs> Boring conversation anyway. Luke, we're gonna have company! Too short for a stormtrooper? Huh? Oh, the uniform. I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. You're who? 
I'm here to rescue you. I've got your R2 unit. I'm here with Ben Kenobi. Ben Kenobi? Where is he? Come on. 